We were just talking about George and Barbie, how irritated George became when I suggested that he express his anger. One of the statements that he made was, this goes against everything I taught in my career. You see, George had been a Bible teacher for many, many years, and that was what he prided himself in, is his spiritual acumen, his ability to look at the Scriptures and interpret them for other people. What happened at his church was that this young man came in, Carl, and he was very bright, but he was also very narcissistic, very ambitious, and he wanted to be the head pastor. And while George was busy teaching the word and focusing on his sermons, Carl was busy focusing on the politics and how he could align the staff to ultimately get George to leave. Well, they had a this history of non-confrontation came from George's belief that we are always to turn the other cheek. Another of Jesus' very famous sayings that can be used against you by people who want you to be under their control, to people who want to abuse you. So when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other one, we have to ask the question, what did he mean? So we have to look at what he actually did. Did Jesus turn the other cheek? Well, at his trial, he actually was struck in the face. He didn't say, go ahead and strike me on the other side. What did he say? If I said something wrong, testify. If not, why did you strike me? That's a confrontation. That's saying, I know that the chief priest told you to strike me, but I'm actually holding you responsible for what you have just done because you're responsible for your actions or behavior, even if you're doing it for someone else's anger. Jesus confronted someone when he was struck in the face. So therefore, I had to take that passage and say, well, so what does he mean, turn the other cheek? And I invite you all to look at this yourselves, but let me tell you what I came up with. It goes along with what he's saying about anger. If someone hits you in the face, your tendency is going to be to react and what? Hit them back or fight back. When you engage your angry emotions, you have just cut off your ability to do something wise. When something surprises you, whether it's 
a remark someone made, whether it's a, literally a pain that you feel, stop. Don't react right away. I believe that's what Jesus is saying. I don't believe he's saying never react. Always lay down. Be a doormat just like me. He was not a doormat. He said, why did you strike me? You're responsible. If you look, when he's on trial before Pontius Pilate, the governor, the most powerful man, that he says, I have authority to set you free or crucify you. Don't you know that? Jesus says, you have no authority except what was given you from above. But those who delivered me up to you, they have greater guilt. What's he doing? He's actually judging. He's saying, I'm the righteous judge. How am I going to judge this? Pilate, yeah, you're going to have less guilt, but these guys have more. He's on trial. He's doing the judging. He's not offended. He's not reacting in anger. And when we don't let our angry emotions come, and that's what he's trying to say. He's saying, look, turn the other cheek. Stop. Don't react right away. Process it. Figure out the best way to go forward. He's not saying never set a boundary. He's not saying people can beat you all they want and you just take it because that's what my followers do. Absolutely not. You call evil evil. You confront it. You stand up to it. But I want you to do it in a wise way. And if you take it to court, if you ask me, I will help you, he says, to confront your abusers in a wise way. Well, the next thing we want to look at now is the facts relevant to the case. The facts relevant to your case. So what we want to know is the prior behavior of both of the parties. Has this been done before? Did George show any signs of wanting to get off the phone with me before? Basically, he would speak for an hour, and then he had to go. Yeah, that was sort of what had been happening. And many times when we look at our relationships that have just suddenly gone down the tubes, there were some clues before that this person may not have been the person we wanted them to be. I wanted George to be this 80-year-old father figure for me, a wise man who was going to counsel me and help me. You see, our dreams and our expectations don't always fit the person. You want your son-in-law, your daughter-in-law, your father-in-law, your mother-in-law to be a certain way, to be supportive of you. Guess what? Most of them are not. You're going to find one of those family relationships where you're not going to get the kind of support that you want. Legitimate desire to have that kind of support from your family, but they don't have it to give you. But you still want it. But as we look at the facts relevant to the case, as we take this to court, and we talk with our defense attorney about the facts relevant to the case. Let's look at their past behavior. Do they have the resources to give you what you want from them? 
It's not a bad thing to want it, but if you're looking for something from someone who can't give it to you because they don't have the resources, that's not going to be wise. And that would be a reason to be able to forgive them and let them go. The other thing that the courtroom is going to want is they're going to want to know if you had any agreements. Were there any written agreements that you had? Is there a contract you have with them? Well, most of us don't have any contracts with our relatives or relationships, perhaps marriages. But we do have many, many unspoken agreements, unwritten agreements. And I happened to have an unspoken agreement with George that he was going to listen to me, value my opinion, just like I listened to him and valued his opinion. Even if it's not written down, and it doesn't hold up in a court of law, you can bring it up in your court because the agreements that you have made are very, very important. I'll give you a spiritual angle on this. God is always speaking to you. The kingdom of evil is also speaking to you. What decides your life is which one of them you agree with. Which agreement, which one you come into agreement with. Maybe which one you will say, oh, I'm so stupid, I can't believe I did that. Who are you coming into agreement with? That's not your father speaking. Oh, I'm so terrible. Oh, this is, this is terrible. This is going to end terribly. That's not what your father says about anything. You are not coming into agreement with him. So the agreements that you make, whether they are mental or verbal, are powerful in your life. And I want you to make a note, if you've been saying things that do not line up with the word of God, let's make a note of those and let's repent of that. And let's start bringing our speech and our thoughts into agreement with what God is saying. He's saying, you, you are righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Yeah, but I don't, I don't feel righteous these people are all accusing me. And George didn't, didn't want to listen to my opinion. I, I don't feel very righteous. Barbie thinks I'm a heretic for uh, saying we're made in the image of God. I don't feel righteous because what these people are saying about me. We have become so dependent on what other people are saying. And this is a season where we need to say, what is God saying about you? You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You and Jesus, if you are in Christ, if you have said, I believe in Jesus, I believe he's the Messiah, I believe he died for my sins, he lives inside of you. The Spirit of God is living in you. 1 Corinthians 6.17, your spirit and the Spirit of Jesus are one. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. There's all kinds of language we can use about who you really are, about your true identity. And so much of these 
issues that we're facing have everything to do with your identity. If I really knew who I was, would I be that offended that George didn't want to spend time on the phone with me? Didn't agree with me? Probably not. And if you understand who you are, that person who doesn't want to spend time with you, or doesn't want the grandkids to come visit you, or doesn't want to come see you, whatever, whatever it is, I, I hear these stories all the time. I, I, I get it. It's not right. It's not right. For whatever reason that they're using to try to keep this person you love away from you, your son, your daughter, now that they're married, they don't come by as much anymore. The problem is that we attach our identity to what this person thinks of us. Their value of us, suddenly we say, well, that must be my true value. What's well, not? That's why we have to spend time in the Word of God. That's why we have to read these scriptures and understand how valuable we are. If not, our anger will quickly overwhelm us. And if you don't understand how valuable you are, guess what? You're going to have to fight what they're saying. And you're going to have to try to get back at them. You're going to have to try to silence those voices. It's going to take a lot of energy for you. Who are you? Because the simple fact is, most of us, at some time or another, have been reprioritized. At one point, you were a priority to this person. And now you're not. They have reprioritized you to a different level. They no longer want to spend that much time with you. You're not as valuable to them as you once were. In my case, as long as I was giving medical advice, I was valuable. When I started giving some spiritual advice, I was reprioritized. Being reprioritized is very painful. It diminishes your value. It, it feels dismissive. I felt dismissed by George and Barbie. I felt devalued by George and Barbie. Delegitimized. Like I, I had very little value to them except in this one little area of interpreting medical lab results. I wonder if you've been reprioritized. I wonder if... There's something here that actually requires some humility for me to be able to say, I am not the priority to that person that I want to be, that I wanted to be. It was a legitimate desire. I wanted to be a priority to George, and I was not. I want us to reflect on this now. Going back to your courtroom case, your expectations, facts relevant to the case, written or verbal agreements, or just agreements that you had. When you enter any relationship, you have something on your mind that that's going to benefit you, or typically we don't get into a relationship that we see, oh, there's no benefit in that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't spend our time 
So what were your expectations with that relationship, with that employer, with the boss, with the friend, with the neighbor? What were your expectations? How were you expecting to be treated? And how were those agreements um, let down? So I'm going to give you a few more minutes to talk about the, about the expectations, facts relevant to the case in our spiritual court. And we can help one another with that, or you can just ask God to look in and the Holy Spirit, the counselor, can help you with that as well. This courtroom exercise is something I think is very valuable, but it does take effort. And most of us are used to just using our emotions because emotions take no effort. They are natural. It just flows, and that's what Jesus is addressing. He's trying to help us from responding with our emotion, this natural response, sort of built-in response, automatic response. That's why he's telling you to turn the other cheek. He's saying, don't respond naturally, initially. There may be a time that you need to defend yourself, but initially, just get used to taking it and then understanding what has happened. Because your initial overview, your initial understanding of a situation may not be correct because there's emotion involved. And whenever there's emotion involved, it often blinds us to what really happened. 